one. And we are recording with Mr. Leo Zagami, who I believe this is your fourth time on here. Um, first time, we kind of just talked about anything and everything. Second time, we talked about uh, Confessions of Illuminati, Volume 7, which is your newest book, which will be in the description, as always. The second time, we talked about Volume 6.66, about Cyber Satan. And now we're talking about Volume 5. And I wanted to ask you, and I guess I'll just let you take it away. What should I be? Because I've been meditating every day since 2008. And, and reading volume five now makes me think that I should be wary of what I'm doing and what I'm going into there with. Yes. What do I need to know to because I think there are great benefits to meditation. I think there's great benefits to praying. But as you've pointed out multiple times in your book, it's a two way door. There are there are nefarious entities that don't have your best intentions, but will masquerade as positive. They're not going to come to you in the form of a demon. They're going to come to you in the form of love and light. What would you what advice would you give to someone that meditates every day? And uh, and then I guess take it from there, Mr. Zagami. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, really a matter of not opening uh, to uh, certain entities, certain realms that are difficult to uh, really control. And uh, we know that uh, the realms of dreams is uh, uh, what uh, the shamans call uh, to see, but it's also... uh, known, like I wrote, uh, by the way, also not only in Volume 5, but also in Volume 7, that uh, uh, shamans uh, at times, especially certain kind of shamans, but we can say most shamans are inclined to not really uh, choose to be on a side. They kind of mingle in that gray area in which uh, you can have forces that are time, as a time can be very dangerous. So I, w- I would suggest personally to not cultivate uh, that kind of, uh, of practice. Having said that, of course, uh, uh, there is people that feel calm and quiet uh, and they feel more balanced when they do meditation uh, and they follow at times uh, uh, what is known as the, 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 the core of the philosophy of yoga. But like I explained in volume five, very, uh, very much, uh, it's, it's, it's about opening to, to certain forces and the fact that you are breathing in and breathing out uh, and, and you are doing it in a certain way and you are maintaining, of course, uh, uh, certain images in your head. Mm, is definitely something that slides into the dream state. And at that point, uh, you are, uh, of course, not any longer in control. Uh, You might uh, slip into what is uh, lucid dreaming. And uh, dream control is something that, uh, I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to master. Um, The truth is that a dream is never just a dream, like I say in Volume 5 of my confessions. It is a sacred uh, a space uh, of uh, multidimensional possibilities. And so I think that uh, uh, the, the rewards uh, of, of meditation uh, uh, might not really be enough to justify this uh, taking this, uh, this risk. Uh, because uh, we are uh, in a state in which uh, you can have, of course, contact with the, the angelic realm, but you can also have uh, preventary contact uh, with demons and elementals uh, alike. And so uh, I think it's necessary to, to understand that in the esoteric world, and I explain this, uh, of course, in the book that we are discussing today, uh, certain people, and in the case of my own experience, I describe in volume five uh, the experience with Master Azot uh, in my late uh, 20s and early 30s uh, while I was living in Norway. Uh, Master Azot, which I also uh, cite, by the way, uh, also in volume one of my confessions and also 
in volume 6.66, uh, you, you, you see in the opening <laughs> a citation from him. Uh, he called Nikolai Fritzball. That's his, uh, his real name. And so it was illuminating for me to uh, learn about certain things, but it was also very scary at times to uh, understand that uh, they can truly cause harm and uh, even death into somebody that doesn't have the means of protecting uh, himself. So I, I would say that, uh, that we need to be very careful of the state of dreaming and of the state uh, of uh, lucid dreaming and, of course, of meditation that might induct uh, and bring us to that uh, point. So it's, uh, it's really about uh, knowing uh, and having uh, self-awareness to the point in which you are comfortable in that state. Um, the strength of uh, meditation can be also addressed, I guess, uh, at good or evil. And I actually talk about that also in the context of... Uh, um, of another topic which I discuss in this book, which is connected to a certain kind of Jewish mysticism and Rabbi Gigatila, uh, Cicatila, sorry, <laughs> which basically is a character which I discuss in volume five, um, in connection also with the use of, uh, of sexual magic also, which is, of course, less known to us, uh, which are, of course, accustomed mostly with, uh, when it comes to sexual magic, uh, the work of Crowley, the work uh, maybe of his predecessor, Pascal uh, Randolph, or uh, maybe uh, at that point, uh, we, we need to understand that they are not really the originators of all this, that uh, it was in the Sabbatean Frankist world that uh, this... Uh, kind of um, things manifested first, and, that, and that's why I wanted to include the, uh, the, the, the work of, uh, rabbi, uh, of this rabbi, which uh, is a very influential uh, rabbi, but at the same time also another perspective regarding uh, um, sexual magic and the ambivalence of certain occult practices, which can be used both in a good way or in a, in a bad way. So the meditative powers uh, come uh, from an accomplishment of yourself in an initiatic setup in which you have learned to protect and uh, aim in the right direction your energies, your thoughts, but if you are not uh, capable of doing that, it's uh, extremely dangerous. So I, I think that I gave you uh, an idea and uh, I ho hopefully I gave you also a warning that might be useful not only to you, but also to other people that unfortunately when they are experimenting with the yoga methods involving mantras, meditation, and visualization often uh, leave the, the path, which is basically a path that wants you to bring calmness and, and, and awareness and peace in your life and end up instead being compromised uh, psychically. And so uh, some people uh, close to me have decided to stop the, the practice of meditation because uh, it was uh, simply too dangerous. They were opening up uh, a can of words and they didn't want to do so. They didn't think they were capable of, of controlling what uh, was opened. Now, is there, could you say that there's a side of it? <clears throat> so one thing I started doing is when I was younger, I, I prayed a lot. Uh, and then I was, an, I was an atheist for like 10, 15 years. But I've been praying for the last two years or so, and I've actually combined the practice of praying and meditation. Is there, is it less dangerous if you go about it that way to, I mean, I've been doing it long enough. I have had wonderful experiences. I've, I've had negative experiences. But is there a way to almost combine the two to, 
because it will, it will it... No, it's not a question of combining it's a question of you uh, and, and and where you stand i mean okay. it's, it's it's like uh, the these uh, practices come from uh, mostly from an east indian tantric alchemy tradition which uh, which is very distant from our own tradition first of all so in a judeo-christian uh, setup uh, these practices often uh, uh, are seen by the, the, the traditional Christians as being, uh, uh, of course, dangerous. They are not always dangerous, but the problem is uh, that uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the present culture that we have, uh, in which many occultists, uh, uh, and, and I cite, for example, the cult of the Lamb of Kenneth Grant and his successor, Michael Staley, when, when you read the book, you saw it yourself, um, because I think that uh, their example is, is it's a typical example of, uh, of, of people who are drawn towards uh, what they then defined as an alien world, an extra dimensional world in which then they became involved. As you know, I also <laughs> wrote uh, and published another book called Invisible Master, which I also uh, direct people uh, to read uh, in, 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 in the course of volume five while I'm addressing uh, this subject, because also in the Invisible Master, I uh, dealt very in depth, uh, in, an, in a very in depth way to, in, in this uh, alien, extra dimensional, interdimensional world. And uh, also in volume one of my confession, I um, kind of uh, uh, try to indicate who are the players. But of course, when it comes down to the practices, as you know, volume five is mostly addressed to those people who uh, claim they're practicing alchemy. Um, both in the past as in the present. Now, in the present, I don't see these great alchemists. I see a lot of confused people that uh, uh, make use of uh, these uh, techniques, also like uh, meditation. And the, uh, the, the problem is that the, they are uh, gambling in stuff that an Illuminati sorcerer that identifies you and wants to harm you can then have an easy ex entrance in, in your life and can uh, very easily um, ruin it. So it's, 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 it's like uh, just putting yourself a little bit at risk if you don't have those uh, protection. Uh, and the protection comes really from a blind faith that doesn't really require any meditation. It's, it's, it's just about uh, being... Uh, in connection with God and, and believing that is the answer to all our problems. So I understand that today there has been here in the Western world a oversimplification of the meditation uh, practice. And I think that for this reason, uh, the, 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 the philosophy of yoga has been also misinterpreted because from something that comes from the sacred realm is being commercialized in something that is basically, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, we, we, let's go to do Pilates, let's go to do yeah. yoga, let's go to do whatever. And, and in all this, we have, of course, uh, the new age. Uh, and in this book, as you know, I uh, criticize firmly uh, new, the new age movement and at the same time, I try to make people understand how the diabolical New Age movement is, is, is part of this corruption of the Western initiatic system. And in fact, uh, this, 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 this book actually has, has a very specific title. You see. I mean, it's not like <laughs> here I show it for all our uh, viewers, uh, of course, uh, who are watching us. Uh, the decline of the West and the rise of Satanism in our society. Now, this book was initially published. Uh, well, yeah, you got attacked for right. You got attacked as like a. They tried to shut it down through censorship. Yes, yes. There was basically a an attempt to uh, remove from uh, circulation this book which I managed to stop, but was a legal attempt made by the Ordo Templi Orientis. The book 
was originally called the decline uh, of the Western Asiatic seas. It was basically not included in the confession series because I was uh, experimenting, because I was trying to publish for the first time uh, a book independently um, using Amazon and my self uh, uh, are self-made because I put it together with my wife, uh, uh, publishing company called Cursum Perficio, and and uh, then I immediately <laughs> incurred in a problem which I thought would be the end of 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 of, of, of the short-lived publishing house, which was just taking off. Uh, instead, uh, I identified the problem. Immediately, I thought, okay, these people can only remove this book if they have some kind of legal issue. And the legal issue by the legal team of the Ordo Templi Orientis, which I remind, is a uh, sect, a paramasonic sect that was taken over by Aleister Crowley and founded originally in Austria and Germany in the, the early 1900s. Um, the, the work, basically, that I did was exposing some symbols that were basically uh, put together recently by the Ordo Temporientis within their academy, their frame of work. And now these symbols are copyright. And of course, uh, when you have a copyright issue, that makes it a legal issue. And then at that point, I said, okay, if that's uh, probably the, the only, that's going to be the only way they can remove this book, if they have some kind of legal grounds where they can battle it. So I removed those, uh, those, uh, those symbols, those images that might have been copyrighted, um, as well as any citation that they might uh, claim was copyrighted, because uh, what they did was in the 90s, uh, they waged a legal war against the people. Actually, Crowley had uh, given it's uh, not this estate, unfortunately, because his estate uh, went to the state of England because of the, the, he went bankrupt. He went bankrupt. He had a, a court battle. He lost. And then at that point, they went uh, uh, to the courts, uh, like it often happens, take control of your estate. After the death of Alistair Crowley, that state uh, stayed in a state of limbo until the 90s, in which they started to feel strong enough to wage court battles against anybody that was using Crowley's writings. And um, this legal battle went on until the early 2000s, in which, in the end, they won uh, in England. Uh, that made it possible; was made possible because what they did was very clever. In, in, in before even waging any uh, legal war that they might have lost, they actually went to uh, to the state and bought Crowley's bankrupt estate for a very little sum of money. And then uh, on top of that, uh, they built uh, their whole, uh, their whole uh, uh, case uh, from the reputation of the order, the connections that it had in the past with Crowley, and so on. Of course, all this was moved uh, behind the scenes by people who wanted to have control over Crowley's uh, writings because they deemed them important uh, in, this, uh, in this moment of time. Now, I, as you know, I write very much about Crowley, not only about the OTO, but also about the AEA, which is uh, another order that he uh, created, and um, an order inspired by supposed secret chiefs and so on. Let's remember, though, that all this New Age movement uh, that Crowley was involved with is uh, the same New Age movement that we are all involved in. I mean, not involved, but at least... Uh, we, we, we tend to minimize the fact that the New Age uh, movement comes from the Theosophical Society, uh, from a Theosophical Society background that uh, without uh, Madame Blavatsky and the initial launch of this uh, Theosophical Society, we will probably never arrive to the uh, complex construct of secret societies that Crowley and others then built up. 
because what, what happened was, and, and, and not only Crowley, uh, Crowley was uh, probably one of the last people, because let's remember, and I talk about it also in volume seven of my confessions, very much uh, all the theosophical milieu of Austria that influenced so much the birth of Ariosophy, of all that anti-Semitic rubbish that formed the uh, ideology, the early ideology of Adolf Hitler, who was Austrian, who was actually in contact with these people. And I explained who they were. And I explained even how Franz Hartmann inspired the, through uh, one of his publications of the Svastik as a symbol of, a na- of a national socialism. So we know that, of course, Nazism, like even communism, uh, these are ideologies that behind the scenes have been aided and abated by some certain secret societies. In the case of the of um, Nazism, it was the Tulle Gesellschaft founded in 1919 by Rudolf von Sembotten, known as the Tulle Society, and uh, and then that uh, was of course something inspired by the Sabbatian Frankists in Turkey. Um, in Salonico, but going back to the fact that the Theosophical Society is the main inspirator for people like, for example, Michael Aquino. Yeah, yeah, the that the satanic uh, satanic U.S. Army Colonel, right? Yes, yes, out of the Temple of Set. Yes, so the New Age uh, phenomena that kind of springs out of this. Uh, it's at the heart of the modern rebirth of magic with a K. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, we always distinguish magic from magic with a K, which is, of course, including everything that is uh, truly occult. And uh, um, I, I actually talk, for example, I even cite in my book, Jimmy Savile, for example, during his lifetime was a deviant witch and pedophile who, who you can now learn more even by watching documentaries on TV that come up now quite revealing ones even. But uh, he was very much connected, as we all know, also with the, the, the royal family. Um, in my book, Volume 5, I do depict a whole scenario of how these uh, various secret societies, in one way or another, uh, got corrupted and ended up being taken over by what we define as Christians, as Satanists. Now, we define them as Satanists, but if you go and talk with these people, they don't have the same kind of definition because they define themselves as pagan. They define themselves as, uh, uh, no, but we are uh, Gnostic, so we are, I don't know what. I mean, they they kind of uh, are very much into not wanting to admit that even Alistair Crowley was... uh, himself a Satanist, mm-hmm. that I explained from volume one of my confessions onwards, that, I mean, if you write a name to Satan, you are clearly a Satanist. If you publish a name to Satan on your website, you're clearly a satanic organization. But, of course, if you talk with these people, they will tell you, no, it's much more complex. Crowley didn't really believe in the devil. He had a much more complex belief system. Okay, but even Michael Aquino that we just cited, who, by the way, I used to be in contact with personally, and really? I, I, I explained that in volume two of my confessions, and uh, and of course I also published one of uh, his emails, uh, letters to me, I think, uh, that uh, actually admits very clearly that he was uh, very much promoting the Theosophical Society. So, I mean, this is not like theories, and uh, just uh, thrown there by people who read some books and, uh, and and don't really know what they're talking about. I talk uh, by a direct experience because I, at one point myself, was a member of the Theosophical Society of Pasadena in London. There is uh, two ramifications of the Theosophical Society present in London, and I was uh, uh, active in one of them for a brief period of time. But I learned a lot from uh, uh, being inside the Theosophical Society myself. So... Uh, I, I think that it's important that then people understand that uh, thanks to this milieu, this uh, group of people internationally united by a, a society, the Theosophical Society, that really for the first time 
kind of mixed the ancient philosophies of the East, the, the, the West, uh, and uh, put them all together. Also, um, reevaluating and advocating almost a defense for the figure of Lucifer, which was the title of the first publication of Madame Blavatsky. So, kind of like, let's bring back Lucifer and let's try to make him cool again. <laughs> let's make Lucifer great again. I mean, it was a bit like that. And uh, at the same time, though, in my book, I dedicate also uh, some uh, some pages to mental alchemy, which is another very important topic. Uh, and, uh, and, and so this book is not really a book... Uh, that is uh, open for those uh, who are not really a little bit at least knowledgeable of the esoteric world or interested in it at least, because uh, um, you can read volume 7, volume 6.66 without necessarily being uh, uh, an esoterist or somebody else. This book here, Volume 5, instead is a book that demands either your, uh, your uh, complete attention or either at least some knowledge of the esoteric world, and, and then you will understand the, the magic of self-will uh, that the Egyptians practiced in the days of Moses, uh, uh, and at least from what they say, from what these people say, from their perception, and from very rare publications, which I included uh, for the first time in the the English language, like, for example, uh, the rare publication of Marianne Atwood, uh, dedicated to uh, to, to what is really mental alchemy. And and, and if you go and study the, 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 the... the, the, the writings that I uh, published in that in that sense, we can say that a lot of this work, uh, though I don't openly refer refer, refer it, uh, reference as such, uh, is it's really the fruit of the enormous influence of the Sabbatean Frankist, or of uh, the, the, the 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 group that from the beginning seem to have corrupted the um, Jewish world, the Erev Rav, which is uh, a group of, it was basically included in the Egyptian tribes uh, that participated to the Exodus, but according to the Jewish tradition, they were not really Jewish. They were Egyptian magicians that were accepted by Moses as an integral part of the people, but became problematic the moment in which uh, the Erebrav started to um, go back to their uh, pagan practices in front of a leader, Moses, who, of course, was pointing on, on, on uh, communication with God and with a monotheistic uh, kind of idea to, to his people that then became, of course, the people of Israel uh, once they be- arrived to the Holy Land. So the Erev Rav is uh, Israel's greatest enemy for some people, and uh, rabbis uh, who are uh, well-versed seem to say that the Erev Rav is actually the origins of the whole Sabbatean Frankist concept. So I think that this gives you an idea that maybe this has been an infiltration all along in, in Judaism, just like we had many infiltrations in, uh, in Christianity. Um, there is, of course, a very interesting uh, text, uh, citations and texts, which I, ancient texts, which I uh, bring together in uh, this uh, book. So it is definitely a book with uh, some uh, uh, wisdom in it that makes us understand also the hermetical garden, uh, if we want to call it that way, the magical keys of all these people who are initiated into these groups, which I describe really in this uh, diagram, this uh, 
which basically shows us uh, how the Western initiatic system really operates and how it's divided, the external, the profane world, then the first level, it's the Blue Lodges of Freemasonry, which is not necessarily extremely esoteric, but is a first level of esoteric uh, no? that we encounter. Then we have a high level of Freemasonry, people who maybe are well-versed with the various rites of Freemasonry who go beyond the third degree and beyond the Blue Lodges into the so-called rites of perfection. They can go into the ancient self-scottish rites, but there's many others also, even more esoteric ones like the Memphis and Misery, or uh, more inclined to the royal art of alchemy, like the Swedish rite, for example which is a very particular right. Um, and then we have, of course, the Rosicrucians. And the Rosicrucians uh, also have been uh, commercialized, over-commercialized, and, and become corrupt in, in the way they were over-commercialized. So I, I, I also tend to... Um, to say that and to show the, 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 how the various degrees of Amork work out and how Amork itself, it's, 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 it's criticized and it's also uh, a manipulation that has... Uh, uh, made uh, definitely more known the whole subject of Rosicrucianism, but it's not a really real Rosicrucianism when you have uh, millions of uh, people that simply follow correspondence courses without really a real uh, connection. So I wanted, though, to say all these things in a book. I wanted to explain also a little bit more about Amor which is based in San Jose, California, but is now really actually in the last few years uh, more and more present. Uh, even the headquarters are here, but in reality, the leadership has moved back to Europe because it was the founder of Amork, who was, by the way, connected also with the OTO and with the same group of people that Alistair Crowley was connected. So we... We go back to what I said at the beginning. All these people come from the theosophical background. Uh, that uh, basically, and, 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 and that's why in my book, I wrote a chapter that you might have read, that do pseudo-Rosicrucians hold the key to hidden knowledge? So do these pseudo-Rosicrucians that sprang out of the work of Harvey, Harvey Spencer Lewis, who died in 1939, um, and who started... Uh, by the way, this adventure, after being an honorary member of the OTO, a group that was uh, considered an amity with, uh, uh, with Amork. But regardless of the OTO connection, I explain uh, if uh, this, uh, there is really some, uh, some true knowledge worth learning from the secret doctrine of these kind of Rosicrucians, these modern Rosicrucian fraternities. Uh, and so I wanted to analyze this uh, concept uh, a little bit more, as well as, of course, uh, also uh, explaining uh, the, the very roots of uh, occult Freemasonry, uh, the roots of... Uh, uh, certain branches of the Illuminati that have always talked, uh, or, or and Freemasonry, that uh, by the way, like for example, strict temple of servants, that always talked about unknown superiors of some kind. Huh? And so here, I, I I I become, of course, a little bit of an historian in this case, and I go into the explanation of who these people are, uh, who aspire the concept, for example, of a non-superior. In, in that case, a Polish guy called Michel, Michel, Michael Sengebu. Uh, and uh, then there is, was also another important uh, figure within uh, Freemasonry called Baron Chaudi, who uh, wrote a very important book uh, who was, that was published in 1766 called L'Etoile Flamboyant, 
Et, et, et la société, les francs-maçons considèrent tous les aspects. Now, it's, it might seem boring though for the common folk, but these things have, uh, have some importance because the people who ruled a society for hundreds of years gave them importance. So uh, by, for example, publishing a short catechism done in a lodge, a catechism on alchemy. What is a catechism? A catechism is basically a teaching that the Freemason, the adept uh, in this kind of secret society receives with a questionnaire, which is basically answered uh, by the adept, but the answer is already given by the adept. So this catechism basically is simply reading this answer so you can Uh, make them yours, yours and lend them. Uh, often such proceedings are memorized so that the person will have uh, a more clever understanding. Now, while today Freemason is not really, I mean, if not in certain rights and really, uh, it's a, let's see, it's, it's kind of, Lately, it's starting to recover some elements of their connection with alchemy because Freemason is basically an alchemical procedure. What does it mean, an alchemical procedure? It means the transformation of man. And so uh, I, I, you know, all the symbolism that we find in a lodge. So you have basically the, 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 the rough ashler and then become the perfect ashler. And then you have basically... Uh, the, 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 the compass, the square, but then you have uh, all the other symbolic elements. I have here, uh, maybe I can show you some of them. Uh, if you wait a second, sure. I can show yeah, you. Sure. Uh, because there is this, uh, just a second. No. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <clears throat> Yeah, we are. This is a miniature, though. This, uh, of course, uh, this is more symbolic. I mean, it is, of course, these are okay. all elements which are used in a traditional lodge. Basically, a traditional lodge of mostly of the Anglo-Saxon tradition. This comes from from London. From so, all these little. And here you have everything. Now you have. Uh, the compass, you have everything else. Now, these yeah. symbols that then are used in the lodge, they are picked up, you know, you have, of course, you have, uh, let me see if I can take it out, but it's not easy because I seldom take this out, but all the, 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 the stuff is basically then symbolic of what? Of... Uh, transforming the candidate. The candidate basically is uh, received in front of a worshipful master in the East who initiates him. And from that moment onwards, all these symbols that now we see here and seem just impossible to decipher because we are, you know, you know here we have basically a micro. <laughs> we have everything that basically... You have in a lodge, but in miniature. And, 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 and they all have their own symbol. You are initiated to the understanding of the symbols. You go through the initiation, and then you go through other passages because the real initiation in Freemason is really only the first degree, and then the rest is a passage and a rise. Uh, you are past a fellow craftsman, and then rise a master mason later on, is symbolized by the position of the compass and the square, one over the other, on the Bible, in the proceeding of the lodge, because that is basically uh, symbolizes where you are. In the first degree, you are put in one position in the lodge, then gradually you are moved to the other position in the lodge. What does this mean? It means that uh, there is operated on you a transformation. So the initiation process is followed 
by uh, a routine that then you go into when you are a Mason and you participate to large meetings, then when they see that you're fit, you are passed to the next degree, eventually you arise to Master Mason, which is in theory the highest degree. Then after that, if you are invited, you can join the rights of choice, okay? And here in the US, the most popular right, of course, is the ancient and accepted Scottish right that came to uh, put together a series of mystery schools and of Masonic uh, rites that preceded it and uh, became the number one right in America, together, though, with another right that uh, preceded it by a few years, which was the uh, York right, which is open, though, only to Christians. So that doesn't make it a universal right. Because the York right basically goes back to the Christian origins of uh, Freemasonry. So um, all this to say that basically we are following a system. This system was actually born as a Christian fraternity. And I explain all this, uh, as you know, in my book, uh, right at the beginning, I discuss uh, in my book how the craftsmen are originate, how they originate maybe in ancient Rome, how they uh, become speculative mason, how then they get infiltrated though by the dark side. And Freemasonry from being a, a Christian fraternity gradually becomes something else. And after 1813, after the union of the ancient and the moderns, it opens up to all kinds of beliefs. And from that moment onwards, we can say it starts really the uh, takeover by occultists, by non-Christians uh, of this uh, fraternity. So I wanted to explain all this in, uh, in my book, and uh, I think I did a good job in, in, uh, in explaining the secret beliefs, the practices, of course, of Freemasons and the Illuminati, what is dif differentiated them, and also why all these practices eventually got corrupt, because uh, we are uh, unfortunately living uh, in an era in which uh, Freemasonry doesn't... Uh, Personally, I don't go into the lodges of Freemasonry here in California because I see it as uh, an institution that has lost its, uh, its, uh, its original uh, uh, Christian imprint and has become something different. I mean, I've been invited to their lodges here. I can show you. I have many, uh, I studied uh, many of their... Uh, uh, publications that uh, they were kindly given to me to, but sadly enough, I saw that uh, uh, the lodges of Freemasonry today, either they are too superficial and have nothing to do really with the alchemy that initially should have crafted and perfectionated a human being and made it into a better man, while instead now it's the occultist that uh, groups like the OTO that have taken over the show in some lodges, other uh, from other uh, sects or groups, even external to Christianity, Muslim groups, and so on, have made possible from this fraternity that has opened up after 1813 to the whole world uh, of religion, uh, meaning that as long as you believe in a uh, in, in a supreme being, that's it. But then that here has been interpreted uh, even to the extent of accepting Satan is because they believe in Satan, so they believe in God. So, I mean, it's kind of like, and, and, and that really where uh, we, we, we see that uh, uh, the corruption of the Western Initiatic system has uh, really led astray this whole Western Initiatic system. So I try to explain in a nutshell, as we don't have much time today, um, how these people who uh, had put together a system based on alchemy, because Freemasonry, like I said, 
is about transforming a human being. Alchemical transformation is not a uh, matter of chemistry. It might have been promoted as such. It might have been perceived as such. It was actually in the past uh, when there was no structured, structured chemistry. It was part of a belief that if you uh, were a scientist and you were dealing with things of nature, you had also believed in God. And so it all reflected in the kingdom of God. When they uh, broke these two things, chemistry became simply a, a physical a physical, physical, chemical, physical, chemical thing, then it kind of, they detached it completely from the spiritual. They didn't want you any longer to know that maybe a hand, a particular element in your hand or in your body is connected to a planet or to a particular planetary influence or to a peculiar spirit or whatever. You understand? They're instead, in the passing... So uh, I would say that Freemasonry was built by alchemists to perfect to perfectionate mankind. Okay. Unfortunately, those alchemists uh, ended up uh, not being able to defend their creation. And gradually their creation was used for other purposes that have nothing to do with the original purpose. So then it became a social club for some people, most people. It became instead an occultist, uh, a place where we could, could promote uh, maybe uh, a bunch of occult theories and stuff. And that, of course, was prevalent, especially in the initial phase when Illuminism, uh, Illuminism arrived and people thought, okay, this is the age of reason. But at the same time, the age of reason uh, wasn't really born uh, amongst people who really believed in reason. <laughs> That's the crazy thing about the age of reason is that, yes, there were people who gradually built around the reason all their belief system. And that's why today we are in this mess, because this is the society of reason. Everything, you know, reason, and, and it has to be proven. Everything has to be proven. Trust the science. By science, by hard fact science. Now, uh, hard fact science, I mean, one of the most uh, important science uh, that people don't really know about that is used by all these people is comportamental science. The science of, the, the, the act of how people react and this is a topic, of course, for another discussion. I haven't included in this book, and we might discuss it in the future. But in this book here, I explained how the Masons in their lodges discussed alchemy when it was still discussed. Let's remember that a guy like Count Cagliostro, who was a very important figure, um, which I always... Uh, tend to discuss in my books also because uh, he is a relative of mine. So in a way, I like it to bring up, but it's not only because he was a member of my family, but he was a very important figure, a, a pivotal figure, a central figure of, um, of Freemasonry in, uh, in the 18th century. And he was basically, uh, he had... Uh, constituted a rite that was truly magical and alchemical that didn't hide that magic and that alchemy. It made it obvious what he was doing. Well, instead, but it didn't really go along very well with the system, and especially with the Vatican, he ended up being arrested and uh, he uh, died in prison as the last uh, victim of the Inquisition. Uh, but he also had initiated the Napoleon Bonaparte. He had uh, started a revolution that ended up influencing people like Benjamin Franklin, who was the worshipful master of a very important lodge in Paris. 
that was following the teachings of Crow, of Cagliostro. Uh, Crowley himself said he was the reincarnation of Cagliostro and Eliphas Lee. So uh, I I tried in my in in my book uh, to explain also a little bit about the involvement of Cagliostro, uh, also with the birth of the rights of Memphis and Mizraim, uh, his. Uh, uh, involvement with the Jesuits, uh, with the Knights of Malta, and uh, his involvement with uh, the Illuminati, because he was given, actually, by the Illuminati, a very specific role and mission during a pivotal time, a turning point in history, which was uh, preceding the great French Revolution. I mean, the, which without the French Revolution... Uh, the, 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 the history of mankind will have been very different. And, and so we have, of course, uh, the American Revolution and the French Revolution that in some way are uh, interconnected. And there is a system um, which, of course, behind the scene made of initiates. And so I think that this book will make people understand more. Uh, about these connections. I mean, um, the, the, the fact that in 1776, uh, we uh, basically started our own uh, republic here has also a reason, and I explained that, as you know, in volume seven of my confessions. But if we want to go even deeper in the understanding of all these secret societies, uh, on further than volume five because it's definitely a very interesting book. I also talk about Svendeborg, Emanuel Svendeborg, which is a very important figure who lived between 1688 and 1772, was a Swedish scientist, philosopher, theologian, and mystic, influenced uh, uh, very much Freemasonry and the Swedish right in particular, but not only and he's best known for his book uh, on the afterlife, heaven and hell. But also I discuss uh, his role as a uh, spy. And then I talk about Edgar Casey, for example, also. Um, so definitely a very rich book in which uh, there is a lot of history and there is those elements that uh, might bring you to a, deeper understanding and knowledge about the, the teaching, the practices of these people and why from uh, something that uh, might have actually helped mankind, uh, uh, the whole thing shifted into something instead uh, that uh, it's, it's satanic and doesn't help mankind. So I, I think that I gave you pretty much an explanation uh, today about what this book is about. I mean, it is not a small book. It's not, it's not a small book. Not a small book. So, you know, to actually kind of uh, uh, explain it in only an hour is, is probably impossible. But uh, I wanted to also explain the connections uh, uh, with uh, with the Freemasonry and the Vatican, uh, what happened, of course, uh, with uh, with the connections that there are between uh, Freemasonry and uh, one of the most important moments in the, the recent Vatican history, which is the Second Vatican Council, which I often talk about. And uh, I also discuss some uh, more contemporary topics because... Uh, this book has an extra amount of pages which I included right at the beginning of the pandemic to explain why this pandemic was coming into fruition, as well as trying to explain also the role of the Vatican and uh, into also sabotaging uh, Trump um, and, and how Trump was actually a threat to this uh, a globalist plan that, of course, sees also the involvement of uh, the Rothschilds. So I think I gave you a whole perspective. If you have another question or two, I can answer. I was going to say, because I know I've, I've already kept you 10 minutes longer. Um, I have two questions, but I guess I'll, I'll focus on, on one. 
Okay. And it's kind of, uh, I believe, to be the, the culminating crux of Volume 7 about the system of total control, right? Cyber Satan, which obviously you talked about in Volume 6. But Volume 7 about VR, about the, uh, the manifestation of demons through, through digital technology and prevalence and through virtual reality. To go back to the beginning of this episode, talking about the dream state, the suggestive kind of unconscious where you give in and you are no longer to control. Do you think that that is the, the end goal of, of a VR virtual reality cyber world in a sense that is it's sort of bringing the, the dream state to the masses and that because to, you have to sit down to meditate, you have to actually do it versus VR once you're locked in or you get in, you are very much because what is it? It's the same thing. It's you're in a world that you don't control. And do you think that that's the end goal is to slip as many people into a form of of digital dream state so that they can have total control? And then again, at the beginning of volume five, you talk about their desire for sacrifice, not of animals, but of people, right? Of particularly young women but of of innocence right and that's how they can sort of extract that power into themselves that do what thou wilt is that the end goal of of it all to download man into a digital world which in way is like meditation you have to voluntarily go into it and then once you're in there it's just a feast on souls. And I know that sounds, I know that sounds insane, but I'm just trying to look at the big, big picture. Do you think that's what it is, is to put as many people into VR, that's a digital dream state, and thus the most sacrifice? I think that might in part be the truth, but here we are talking about basically um, giving to this world more and more materialism and less and less real spirituality because VR is about a a state that might mimic, for example, a church. You will enter a church in VR and you will be mimicking the entrance in a church. They will even mimic probably God, angel, demon. Everything can be mimicked and of course projected in your head at that point and it's about control it's about lowering uh, the frequencies of man that bring us in contact with the angelic realm with god so here we are not only uh, in a society that wants people caged by a virtual reality but also it's constantly giving in the last decades more and more frequencies through the mediums of uh, TV, uh, music, cinema, frequencies that lower and ruin our consciousness, project chaos, and of course, uh, ultimately lead you to being demonically possessed. Now, we made already some of these references when I talked about the volume 6.66. So definitely... Uh, when you talk now about the fact that they want to cage people into that kind of reality, let's not forget that uh, the moment in which uh, they will uh, start inserting things in our body, that is really where they will have complete control. Not the VR necessarily because we can take out the VR. Okay. It's going to be difficult for some people. eh? It's going to be difficult. Some people will not be able to say no to the VR as they're not able to say no to the TV, as they're not able to say no to uh, the computer or wherever, their phone. Most people nowadays, they go around, they're caged into their mobile phone. Their mobile phone will be inside themselves within 10 years. Mm. And so that is really where they are leading to. Then it doesn't matter if you are in or out of the VR. It's about uh, connecting you to the machine and enslaving you. So that uh, 
might be, of course, through the BR, but it might also be through simply having a microchip inside you and controlling you. So uh, I don't know if I explained myself no, well. You did. No, you uh, did. It's 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 like uh, I think the Native Americans used to do it. They would uh, they'd find like a not like a basin, almost like a valley with really high walls and once the, you got to the edge of the cliff, what they do is they build like mud walls, almost like a thousand feet and they would get shorter and 10 feet, nine feet, eight feet, all the way down to where they rose right to the ground. And what they would do is they would lead animals. They'd stampede them into this long tunnel and it's gradually getting bigger and bigger. And then they go into the walled off area. And then what they do is they, you know, dump a stone and block it off and then they could slaughter them. It seems like that's what it is. I mean, they will, like I say in the book, proceed into giving the idea that we are achieving new powers, yeah. that we are basically moving into uh, a concept of a one world, and that is when they will unite religiously, politically, economically, and socially this planet to wait to pay the, the, for the appearance of the, the Antichrist, uh, the, the, the false messiah that they will promote as being the ultimate controller. The, 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 you see, the thing here uh, is, uh, it's very clear here that in the United States, they have already understood that to embrace this kind of system, they will have to make some radical changes. And that's why, for example, one of the radical changes that is being addressed recently by Elon Musk is the age in which a president should become a president. Because that is also something that blocks uh, this plan. You know, it, seems, it seems like, it seems uh, um, crazy, it seems uh, unusual, uh, but uh, you have to understand that in, since ancient times, uh, the oldest have always been the sages, the ones that uh, nowadays they want to ridicule the figure of the old through a president like Joe Biden. Okay. Joe Biden is the epitome of the village idiot, of the, the, of the guy who is uh, used and abused by the system behind him. And ultimately to promote the idea that all people are not good for our society and we need to get rid of them. We need to have new people like Zelensky, Young. Oh, okay. uh, we need to be fighting. And so, you know, the, the, the big experts from uh, all those think tanks say, oh, we have a problem here in the US. We don't really have strong leaders. Will they appear in the future? And then they, and then, and then they suddenly say, Oh, well, but we have made a choice in the last few years. We don't want a leader. We want a team. We have basically Obama working with a bunch of people in, 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 in the Oval Office on in, the, in, the, you know, in the emergency room in the basement that he has downstairs when he was uh, arresting or killing, I don't know, Osama Bin Laden. They say it. But, you know, it, was, it wasn't the image of John Fitzgerald Kennedy on his own yeah. The on his shoulders, uh-huh. it wasn't the image of a great leader that is fighting for his people on his own. It's a team effort. Uh, team effort is basically communism. Yeah, diffusion of responsibility. There's no one person. Yes, and 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 it's and and so that is something that is kind of clashing, though, at the moment with their idea of bringing together a single world leader. Because if, either you have a single world leader, or you they have, have the a team. team. No. So now they're kind of like working around it. But the first thing that I need to diffuse is let's delegitimize the older folks. Yeah. Oh, Trump is too old. Uh, Joe Biden, you see, it's, 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 I mean, it's ridiculous. The guy can't really have the discussion. But they keep him there and they will keep him there as long as they can because they need to simply demonstrate that no longer we can have older people in charge. And that is very dangerous. Mm. That is very dangerous because uh, the older folk uh, has the experience. Yeah. 
and it's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a case in its own. It's a case in its own. It's, it's a guy who has lost it a long time ago. And, uh, and for that reason, uh, they, they are simply using him uh, to, to remove from, from... And that's why Elon Musk is not to be trusted. Elon Musk is the guy who is working for the computer brain interface, is the guy who has warned over and over again about, about artificial intelligence, but at the same time is one of the people, main people involved in the construction of it. So it's kind of ambivalent, no? This, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this figure. So thank you so much for having me today. <laughs> and I hope that people will understand that if they want to have a complete uh, panoramic, a complete vision of uh, these secret societies, well, look no further than Volume 5, because then you will have uh, uh, a very also clear, I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of the book, I've included also a, a timeline uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of how gradually it all changed. We got into this mess in the last couple of hundred years and how basically they've been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And in the end, that's uh, the result that we have this. To, but you have to go back. Uh, you know, you have to go back. You have to know the past in order to really understand the present and write the future. And so we, we are here praying that America is taken back by the Americans. But at the moment, it looks like uh, the people who constructed America from those secret societies in Europe gave the original inputs and now wanting to take what they helped creating for a purpose. Yeah. And uh, it might be very difficult to say no to them. And so the United States of America, as united, is in danger. And, and, and we need to, to, uh, to work to protect it. That's why you also need to, of course, get volume seven of my confessions. So you have also a full perspective regarding the ongoing Great Reset. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. God bless you. Mr. Leo Zagami, thank you so much, sir. Volume five, six, and seven. I'll put the description or I put the links in the description. Get them paperback, hardcover, or on Kindle. I'll put your website in there. And, and um, I want to add at the end of the summer, when I finish my new book, uh, I would like to discuss it with you as well absolutely. as, of course, as well, uh, of course, one more book that we need to discuss, which is volume four, which there is also a very important book. Which uh, we need to discuss in the future. But uh, four, four, three, two, and one. We got to get them all in. Well, of course. But uh, first of all, I need, as you know, to finish my new book. So that's why I have to. I have to leave you. Go back to work. Yes, sir. And uh, please have a great summer, all of you guys. Thank you so much, Leo. I will send you an email. We will get back together in September. Looking forward to your next book. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your time. I'll send you a link to this episode when it's up. God bless you, Mr. Zagami. God bless you.